Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today, we will be reading Genesis chapter 34 from the Good News Bible, today's English version. Beginning at verse 1. One day Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the Canaanite women. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, who was chief of that region, saw her, he took her and raped her. But he found the young woman so attractive that he fell in love with her and tried to win her affection. He told his father, I want you to get Dinah for me as my wife. Jacob learned that his daughter had been disgraced, but because his sons were out in the fields with his livestock, he did nothing until they came back. Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob just as Jacob's sons were coming in from the fields. When they heard about it, they were shocked and furious that Shechem had done such a thing and had insulted the people of Israel by raping Jacob's daughter. Hamor said to him, My son Shechem has fallen in love with your daughter. Please let him marry her. Let us make an agreement that there will be intermarriage between our people and yours. Then you may stay here in our country with us. You may live anywhere you wish, trade freely, and own property. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Do me this favor, and I will give you whatever you want. Tell me what presents you want, and set the payment for the bride as high as you wish. I will give you whatever you ask, if you will only let me marry her. Because Shechem had disgraced their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor in a deceitful way. They said to him, We cannot let our sister marry a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace for us. We can agree only on the condition that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will agree to intermarriage. We will settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not accept our terms and be circumcised, we will take her and leave. These terms seemed fair to Hamor and his son Shechem, and the young man lost no time in doing what was suggested because he was in love with Jacob's daughter. He was the most important member of his family. Hamor and his son Shechem went to the meeting place at the city gate and spoke to the people of the town. These men are friendly. Let them live in the land with us and travel freely. The land is large enough for them also. Let us marry their daughters and give them ours in marriage. But these men will agree to live among us and be one people with us only on the condition that we circumcise all our males as they are circumcised. Won't all their livestock and everything else they own be ours? So let us agree that they can live among us. All the citizens of the city agreed with what Hamor and Shechem proposed, and all the males were circumcised. Three days later, when the men were still sore from their circumcision, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, the brothers of Dinah, took their swords, went into the city without arousing suspicion, and killed all the men, including Hamor and his son Shechem. Then they took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. After the slaughter, Jacob's other sons looted the town to take revenge for their sister's disgrace. They took the flocks, the cattle, the donkeys, and everything else in the city and in the fields. They took everything of value, captured all the women and children, and carried off everything in the houses. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have gotten me into trouble. 
Now the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and every one else in the land will hate me. I do not have many men. If they all band together against me and attack me, our whole family will be destroyed. And verse 31, taken from the Common English Bible, reads, They said, But didn't he treat our sister like a prostitute? Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 34. As disturbing as this passage is, some of the commentaries written about it are even worse. The following commentary, for example, is taken from a late 19th century book entitled All the Women of the Bible by Herbert Lockyer. It is still available on Internet Bible websites today. We only need to read the title of Lockyer's chapter on Dinah to realize that his commentary blames a female victim for crimes perpetrated by men. His title reads as follows, Dinah, the woman whose sightseeing had fatal results. The fatal results referred to by Lockyer involve the killing of all the men in a particular city by Simeon and Levi in response to the rape of Dinah by Shechem, the son of Hamor. Lockyer describes a woman's sightseeing as the cause of these criminal actions. In so doing, Mr. Lockyer makes a number of errors that have serious ramifications for both women and men. To begin, Mr. Lockyer assumes wrongly that Dinah was sightseeing. In contrast, the Greek Septuagint portrays Dinah as intending to observe or closely study the women of her new community. It is not surprising that she would wish to learn something about the women in her new place of residence. By describing her actions as sightseeing, Dinah's behavior is trivialized. It sounds as though she has done some frivolous thing that then went on to cause a catastrophe. This brings us to the second problem with Lockyer's analysis. It is Dinah, the victim of a sexual crime, who is blamed for the actions men take in the story. In Lockyer's words, Dinah's, quote, desire for novelty and forbidden company spelled disaster, end of quote. He says that she, quote, should have been more careful regarding her personal obligation in maintaining the honor of her home and nation, end of quote. He further claims that it was due to her vanity that Dinah allowed herself to be taken to Shechem's palace, where the rape then apparently took place. The Bible itself says nothing about Dinah's alleged vanity. It does not accuse her of dishonoring her home or her nation, nor does it mention whether or not Shechem even had a palace. The victim blaming, as well as the details surrounding the events of the sexual crime, are not found in the pages of the Bible. They are all supplied by the commentary of Herbert Lockyer. Not only is Dinah blamed for the actions of Shechem, she is also held accountable by Lockyer for the actions of her brothers, Simeon and Levi. In response to one man's crime of rape, they tricked all the men of the city of Shechem into circumcising themselves so that they could more easily be put to death by the sword. According to the Bible, Dinah was not responsible for this behavior. In Genesis 49, verses 5 to 7, Jacob rightly holds Simeon and Levi accountable for their own actions. That passage reads as follows. Simeon and Levi are brothers. 
weapons of violence their stock and trade. May I never enter their council. May my honor never be linked to their group. For when they were angry, they killed men, and whenever they wished, they maimed oxen. Cursed be their anger, it is violent. Their rage, it is relentless. I'll divide them up within Jacob and disperse them within Israel. Jacob does not blame Dinah for the actions of her brothers. He attributes the killing of the men of Shechem to the relentless rage of his two sons, which evidently showed itself in violence towards human beings and animals on more than one occasion. The words of an Old Testament prophet agree with Jacob's approach. In Ezekiel 18, verses 20 to 21, we read, The soul who sins will die. The righteous deeds of a righteous person will be attributed to him, while the wicked deeds of the wicked person will be charged against him. In this chapter of Ezekiel, the prophet especially highlights that people are not responsible for the choices and actions of their family members. Lockyer, however, blames Dinah, a woman who is the victim of a sexual crime, first for the actions of the perpetrator and then for the vengeful actions of her brothers. These brothers, ironically, are held responsible by Lockyer for the actions of Dinah. He says that they never should have allowed her to leave home without a male escort. In addition to blaming the victim and her family for the crime of rape, Lockyer also defends the motives of the perpetrator. Regarding the man named Shechem, he writes, quote, Evidently, there was more than lustful desire on the part of Shechem, for we read, His soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto her. End of quote. Lockyer is quoting the King James Version of the Bible here. The Hebrew language of the passage interpreted in context, paints a very different picture. The word for love used in Hebrew is also used in 2 Samuel 13 verses 1-2, which reads, In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. This brings us to an important consideration in the translation of ancient languages. The meaning of a word, in this instance, love, is determined by its context. In the case of Shechem and Amnon, the so-called love they had for their victims was really a sick obsession that led to rape. The implications of Lockyer's commentary are staggering. Men, apparently, are not responsible for their own actions. If a woman is seen in public without a male escort, a man, even a loving man, may not be able to help but rape her. Men who are rightfully offended by this criminal behavior may not be able to refrain from responding with criminal conduct of their own. They may generalize the offense to all the men of a particular community, or perhaps ethnicity, and may then respond with violence, even to the point of murder. Allegedly, all of this violence and criminal conduct can be set in motion by a woman 
who refuses to do her feminine duty, which is to stay at home. And, according to Lockyer's commentary, it is the responsibility of men to ensure that women fulfill this obligation. In other words, Herbert Lockyer's proposed solution to the criminal conduct of men is to blame the victim, teach women to stay at home, and teach men to exercise authority over female behavior. Rather than making our community safer, victim blaming and patriarchal control actually make violence against women more likely to occur. Unfortunately, this mindset remains prevalent in some patriarchal corners of the church today. It believes that legalistic rules will guard people, generally men, against sexual impurity. In this belief system, women are viewed as inherently provocative. In his 243rd letter, for example, St. Augustine warned, quote, It is still Eve the temptress we must be aware of in any woman. Unquote. Thinking along the same lines, a 3rd century theologian named Tertullian insisted that women must veil their faces in public lest they cause men, or even angels, to fall into sexual sin. We find that in On the Veiling of Virgins, chapter 7. Augustine, Tertullian, and like-minded theologians today wrongly assume that in order for men to remain sexually pure, women must be kept out of sight and out of mind. As a result, women are told, by men in authority, what they can and cannot do, where they can and cannot go, and what they can and cannot wear. The assumption is that these rules placed upon women will guard the church, and especially men, against sexual sin. Is this what the Bible teaches? Far from it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus did not engage in victim blaming. Instead, he encouraged anyone struggling with temptation to take full responsibility for their own behavior. In Matthew 5.29, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus was not advocating literal dismemberment here. Elsewhere in the New Testament, he explained that sinful choices spring not from the human body, but rather from the evil intentions of a person's heart and mind. As he says in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Will legalism guard against temptation? Absolutely not. Writing to the church in Colossae, the Apostle Paul explained, quote, Such rules are human commandments and teachings. They look like they are wise, with this self-made religion and their self-denial by the harsh treatment of the body, but they are no help against indulging in selfish, immoral behavior. Unquote. And Paul wrote that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. In Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, Paul explained that legalism makes a person more likely to sin rather than less. Legalistic rules and faith in human effort lead to an obsessive pattern of recurring failure. 
If trusting in human rules and male authority will not keep us from sinful behavior, what will? In Galatians 5.16, the Apostle Paul explains that if we depend on the strength and leading of God's Holy Spirit, we will not yield to temptation. Our lives will be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We read that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul further explains that a person who lives this way has no need for legalistic restrictions. Blaming victims of sexual crime only causes them further harm. The legalistic control of women is not the path to sexual purity. The church will only find freedom from sin and oppression if it gives up trusting in religious rules and male authority and learns to depend on the power and guidance of God's Holy Spirit. May we all learn to trust God, take his hand, and walk in the strength that his Spirit provides.